1: From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Being able to move the way you want to, how and when you want to, cannot be achieved by just working out or stretching. That's according to two people who actually work out a lot. San Francisco CrossFit co-founders Juliet and Kelly Starrett, their whitewater rafting world champions who train professional athletes. The good news is they've learned that being able to move easily and painlessly throughout our lives really depends on doing our simplest everyday movements more intentionally and more often. The Starrett's new book is Built to Move, and they join us after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Kelly and Juliette Starrett are whitewater paddling world champions, but they're not here to tell you how to become an elite athlete. Or even to exercise more. They're actually here to tell you to sit on the floor more often, if you can. To put your shoes and socks on standing up instead of sitting down. And how breathing through your nose is better than through your mouth. These are the simple things, they say, that will help you avoid pain, feel more vibrant, and move the way you want to today and decades from now. Kelly Starrett is a doctor of physical therapy and co-founder of The Ready State, a resource site for exercise and mobility workouts and healthy living. Welcome to Forum, Kelly Starrett. Thank you so much. Juliette Starrett is co-founder of The Ready State as well and also its CEO. Welcome, Juliette. Thank you so much for having us. So why should we sit on the floor more? What are the benefits of sitting on the floor,
3: Juliette? Well, we wanted to open our book with a simple test called the sit and rise test, which is basically starting from a standing position and lowering yourself to the floor and then getting back up again. And that's based on a 2014 study that was published in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology that showed that the ability to get up and down off the floor actually was correlated with longevity. And the reason that we like this test so much is that it is just a slight little bit of information about how well... Our, we're able to move through our environment, how tight or, or stiff our hips are, and whether or not we can still have access to this fundamental skill of getting up and down off the ground, which many of us have lost in our
1: chair-bound modern world. So what is it about sitting in a chair, Kelly, that creates, I think you've described them as compensatory positions?
4: Yeah, you know, I think what we, we want to try to do is say, Let's move away from the conversation that sitting is bad and standing is good. What we're really always after is how do we create an environment or think differently about the fact that our brains and our bodies work a little bit better if we focus on more movement, total movement for the day. So sitting on the ground, remember that the number one reason people end up in nursing homes is they're unable to get up and down off the ground independently. So sitting on the ground or creating a, an exercise where we're there makes us also have to practice standing back up. but one of the ways that you can sneak in better hip range of motion, better range of motion in your hamstrings, sort of how your your legs tie to your uh, your hips and back is just by watching TV in you know while sitting on the ground. And so one of the things we're trying to do in this book is say can we look at what people's busy crazy lives look like and not give them another listicle of checklist of things they need to do, but rather where can we put in these inputs, small hinges that are going to open big doors?
1: So <clears throat> Juliet mentioned the sit and rise test, and just to get a little more specific with it, you're basically supposed to sit sit down and and preferably crisscross applesauce, and you can explain why crisscross but, is better, um, and get up without using your hands.
4: Crazy, right? Yeah, like, or um,
1: putting down a knee.
4: Imagine you had to get up holding a baby or you're, you're holding two plates of food. But really what what's interesting, what we're trying to do with this book and this test is that we're trying to create vital signs for people. So if I said to you, your blood pressure is 120 over 80, you would be like, mm, that's not great. It's not bad. It's not It's not terrible either. It's just it gives us a reference position. So I think people are comfortable with this idea of a vital sign. Well, we wanted to take that idea and say, let's expand it into movement. So suddenly this idea of hey i should be able to do this very mid-range i don't have to be very strong for this i don't need simone biles flexibility to do this but here's a skill that really sort of taps into your innate your innate sort of uh skills to access your range of motion in a really meaningful way and so suddenly you can be like oh that was no problem or it was a little bit difficult this week or holy moly this is really difficult i've taken my off this
1: yes and i gotta say it's a simple test, but it's not that simple to do. <laughs> I did it with our producers, and let's just say not all of us could do it. But um, the the crisscross piece of it, Juliet, is that because that motion of just sitting with our legs crossed actually expands our hip a little bit or does some kind of motion?
3: It's just great for our hip range of motion. But one of the reasons we love this test so much is that the way to get better at doing it is actually just to do the thing, which is getting up and down off the floor. And also, you can practice this by sitting in front of your favorite Netflix show for 30 minutes at night, sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce. It helps open up your hips. And then, what I think people will find is that When you sit on the floor, especially those of us who don't do it as often, you naturally move into different positions. You sit crisscross applesauce, long sit, which is with your legs out in front of you, 90-90. Your body sort of naturally wants to move into these different positions and shapes, and ultimately you are improving your hip range of motion without actually thinking about it. You're just enjoying your favorite TV show, changing positions, and really just opening up your hips in in the process.
1: And and so this is something that you both hit on a lot, which is the importance of having these small movements um, be part of everyday yeah. life. Like you're trying to meet us where we are,
5: Kelly, <laughs> well, basically.
4: How, how about this? Is that we appreciate that most people are running ragged. And, and so what we have found, because we work in elite performance, is that when we come in with complex solutions... It sounds really great and it makes us feel really important, but what we find is we can't integrate these essential behaviors. And if we just take a look at fitness and wellness, it's really a trillion-dollar industry. And if we just apply that saying, hey, well, how well are we taking care of society with this trillion-dollar industry about wellness and fitness, and it turns out obesity, diabetes, Uh, injuries, substance abuse, social isolation. You can almost choose in ACL injury rates in kids, anything that's important to you and you can see maybe it's not trending in the right way. So maybe we've been asking the wrong question or applying the solutions in a different way. So when we give people this idea of saying, hey where are the places in your day where you have some agency and where can we make some of these small behavior changes, suddenly it's easy to say, well hey I don't have to be heroic in this one-hour block and go to this class to restore my range. I can sit on on the ground. And by the way, humans have been sitting on the ground for a long time. It's one of the ways that some people think our bodies tune themselves. It's a way of just maintaining our and sort of exposure to the range.
1: Yeah. Talk about some more of the benefits. I mean, just staying with sitting on the floor for a second. If you do this a lot, you get better at getting up off the floor without any help at all. What Will it lead to what? What will help your body do, Juliet? So you know, I'm just going
3: to take this as a moment to define the term mobility, because I think it's often either misunderstood or people have actually never even heard of it. And to us, mobility is the ability to move freely throughout your environment without pain, and to be able to do the things you want to do with your body. Now, that's very different depending on, you know, Kelly and I love to mountain bike and ski, but for many people that just may be playing with their grandkids or being able to go to the park, I mean, it's very wide ranging and very personal what people want to do with their bodies, but turns out everybody does want to do something with their bodies, and so we define mobility as the ability to do those things, and this very basic thing of being able to get up and down off the floor and sit on the floor turns out to reap tons of benefits in terms of the, those other things we want to be able to do, whether it's athletic or just moving throughout our environment. It really is, is correlated to being able to just move freely throughout our days and do the things we want to do.
1: Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is what is, what is the physiology of getting up sure. off the floor that improves what? Yeah.
4: <laughs> so, you know, I think one of the things that we're... A lot of people might come to this book because they're struggling with pain right? And and we want people to understand a couple fundamental truths around pain. One of them is pain does not mean injury or trauma to your body. And certainly if you can't occupy a role in society or your family or do your job, that's a medical emergency. But it's a very human condition to have aches and pains. And so Juliet and I turned 50 this year. And I mean, I can't cut off my hand like I did when I was 17 and it wouldn't regrow in the morning. <laughs> so, one of the things that is always missed in this conversation about our bodies is what is it my body should be able to do? Because the problem, I think, is that as modern people, we aren't really asked to expose ourselves to its our native sort of movement languages, the the, the full spectrum of what mm-hmm. we're supposed to be able to do. If you go to yoga or Pilates, they're going to ask you to do a lot of those things. You're going to have to put your arms over your head. But a lot of times for example people may go weeks without having to actually put something in the overhead compartment or you know put their arms over their head so if you in san francisco you see those little you know older families doing qigong i mean there are movement traditions in here that have been touching these things for a long time so one of the things that happens is when we sit on the ground we start to restore native range the things that our bodies are supposed to be able to do. And when we restore what our bodies are supposed to be able to do, it gives us more movement choice. It restores our function. And oftentimes, as we begin to sort of improve our ability to range to back to our native states, things like discomfort start to go away. So we have more movement choice, more movement options. We can move a little bit more freely, and oftentimes it makes us feel better.
1: Okay, so that... So, so what if you're somebody who, who, for reasons of differences of ability or mm. injury, just simply cannot sit on the floor yeah. or get up from sitting on the floor? How do you think of mobility for that?
3: Well, I'll start by saying in this book, we actually divided it into sort of two big buckets. The first is movement and mobility. And the other is a set of behavioral um, vital signs. And so first and foremost, we think those are equally as important. And, you know, those are universal there around, you know, eating well and sleeping and focusing on your breathing. So we definitely have a lot of things that are apart from mobility. And then I'll let Kelly go ahead and talk about the why.
4: Yeah, well, you know, we understand and wrote this book from the perspective that these are fundamental behaviors that everyone engages with so they can be regressed and progressed. so if we're going and working with the world's best athletes this is our program because we know that we can build greater kind of capacity and skill and strength and power on top of it but otherwise we can still regress these things back and make them simple so for example if you know, at the gym that we owned for for 15 years, one of the things that we had was an adaptive athletics class. So we had people with varying abilities, varying kind of capacities show up and train in our gym. And if, for example, you find yourself in a wheelchair, chances are you probably also sleep in a bed. And so you may just need to be on the bed, spending time in your on your stomach. And that is the way to start to restore this. If you have a couch, for example, you may need to lower yourself to the couch and then see if you can sit on the couch in some different positions. Mm-hmm. So you, chances are you can probably sit on the couch and tuck one leg up. So suddenly we realize that we can scale all of these things to meet people. The problem is we haven't ever said to anyone, here's what your body's capable of, and here are the behaviors that are going to help you in your state restore your native abilities.
1: And we really
3: did want to meet people where they are with this book.
1: And the book is called Built to Move, The Ten Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. And the authors of this book are with me, Juliette Starrett, co-founder of The Ready State, Kelly Starrett, also co-founder of The Ready State, a physical therapist, both of them whitewater paddling world champions. You, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. Tell us, what do you want to know about ways to increase your mobility? Do you feel like you're losing your range of motion, for example, and can't move in the ways that you used to? Is there a small movement that you've been into your life that you think has improved your mobility. Tell us after the break. I'm Nina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sarriaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.
1: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
5: Tomorrow, we'll talk with
1: Clint Smith, celebrated author of the book How the Word is Past, about his new poetry collection called Above Ground. Today, we're talking with superstar athletes Kelly and Juliette Starrett, who are sought-after trainers and consultants for superstar athletes. We're talking with them about how we don't need to be an athlete to be able to move with strength and ease as we age by just being conscious of the small movements we make every day that can strengthen our bodies rather than strain them. And you can join the conversation with your questions about how to improve your mobility, with your thoughts about small movements that you've incorporated into your life that you think has improved your mobility that you'd like to share with other listeners, or if you're concerned that you feel like you're losing your range of motion and want to figure out how you can increase that, Um, One of the things that I think is really fascinating, and I know this um, from talking with people who exercise and then asking them to do some of the mobility tests that you have in your book, Built to Move, is that you could hit the gym every day. You could be super into weightlifting. You could be a a paddler, uh, as you both were, but you won't be able to actually ace these tests. Why is that?
3: Uh, Well, that's a great question. And and I I would say that we find a lot of athletes who think that they're checking the box by going to the gym for one hour a day. But turns out there are 23 other hours in which there are so many little things that people can be doing to sort of move the needle on things like their range of motion. You know, we talked about the sit and rise test. Um, We're huge fans of walking more throughout the day. And so there's so many ways that I think athletes sometimes think because they've gone to the gym and checked the box that they've done the work and that they have sort of forgotten that they need to put a little input into their body for the other 23 hours of the day.
4: And you, and you might think of it this way. Hey, I went on my Peloton and I crushed myself. I bled through my eyes in effort, right? Which is a normal experience. Great. We've smoked your cardiovascular system. Maybe normal for you, <laughs> Kelly. Right. But simultaneously, what we haven't done then is sort of taken you to the end ranges or, your, or exposed your tissues to what they're supposed to be able to do. And so every physician, every physical therapist, we all had to learn, every orthopedic surgeon, we all had to learn what do human beings, sh- what should they be able to do with our shoulders and our hips, and oftentimes the things that we do for fun or for sort of recreation or, or restoration don't necessarily respect those ranges. And so for example, if you are sitting on a bike a lot, you may lack the ability to effectively extend your hip like you are in a lunge position. And so we can sort of call this this whole idea of session cost. When, when we work with high-level athletes, oftentimes we say, hey, the next day you were, you were smoked, you couldn't ge- generate force, you were sore. That's the session cost. Well, we can apply that same level of thinking to our day to day lives. If I'm engaged and I have to sit in front of a computer all day long for months and months, it may be that that session cost limits my ability to do sort of the things that my body should be able to do.
1: Well, Robert writes, can you repeat how to do the sit and rise test? Do the guests mean first transitioning on a knee while sitting down and then get on one knee first when getting up without hands? I I think what was the easiest was your description of cross your legs and sit down on the floor with your – and then – you'll naturally fall into a yeah, crisscross so the, position. The
3: goal is to cross one of your legs in front of the other and then slowly lower yourself to the floor <laughs> in a crisscross applesauce and you know, some people might might find that they get near the floor and have to fall back a little bit and then again to sort of stay in that crisscross applesauce position and lean forward at the hip and then try to stand back up. You're almost on the sides of your feet as you're doing that um, but of course the modif- there are many modifications. One of those is to put a hand down or two hands down. You can use a knee or or you, if you're near a coffee table or a chair or a stool, you could put a hand on one of those. So you don't have to be get perfect back
4: up. the first time. But what we know is the more points of contact, the more capacity you have to get better at this skill.
1: Well, does modern life conspire against mm.
4: mobility? Well, I would say unequivocally yes. (laughs) And what I would hope everyone can do is grab one of these tests and just try it on your family and be surprised at people who are like, oh, look, you're probably going to be 100 and moving around very well. Throw it on your growing child and see how well their environment is matching their growing bodies. I think, you know, it's really naive to say, hey, we're all going to throw away our mid-century modern couches and we'll all live in this kind of paleolithic fire, you know, (laughs) ground-based living you know the the issue now is if the world has set us up to move in a certain way we have to be a little bit more conscious about making sure we have some restorative practices. The real question is where and when do I do those restorative practices? And I think that's really where the magic is and sort of our thinking now is we're realists. How are we gonna do this? Why don't you sit on the ground in front of TV?
1: Can I tell you another test that I really liked was the standing on one leg with your eyes closed. Oh, man. Yes, the Solek, And seeing if you can do that for, for 20 seconds. So, so you stand and you just basically raised your leg behind you, right? Yeah, just said with a knee bent a little bit. A knee bent, and you close your eyes, and I, I could not do this. What is important about that test? What is it telling us?
3: Well, it's a test of our ability to balance, and it's really interesting that when you take the eyes away, that all of a sudden, you know, if you just stood on one leg with your eyes open, most people would pass that test with flying colors, but the moment you close your eyes and lose that input, it becomes very difficult, and I think people who do it will be surprised to see they have windmill arms and, you know, they're really struggling to do it. But what it ultimately is is a test of our balance. And that definitely is a skill that is sort of a, you know, if we don't use it,
1: we'll lose it. Yes. And it's very important, especially as we age. Because falls, oh, if yeah. we lose our balance, become much more or the impacts are much greater.
4: You know, there was just a study that came out in the New York Times a couple years, a couple of weeks ago. They wrote an article about it that basically we expect to see hip fractures double by 2050. Well, how do people f- fracture their hip in the first place? They fall. And what we know, uh, if I just if we took this whole book and said forget everything else and if it was just a PSA to help reduce fall risk in our families, <laughs> amazing. And that fall risk for you might be, hey, I want to be better at yoga, uh, standing on one leg. I want my kid to be better at soccer. What we know is and if you may have had a family member who's fallen at night, The reason that night is so tricky is it's dark and we lose some of this visual perception. And so what we're realizing is, hey, as Juliet said, these are very trainable capacities. I think sometimes we tell people, you know, it's too late for you. You're old. You're past 30. (laughs) And at no point does your brain stop learning. At no point can you not recover skills. In fact, your range of motion and your ability to express and control that range of motion is the one aspect of your physicality that doesn't have to decay as you get older. So there's no reason you need to be wobbly, but certainly is something to be able to practice and start earlier, get better at it.
1: And, And I love the way you have easy ways to incorporate that into your life. For example, by putting your shoes and socks on just by standing up, right? And not using a wall.
4: Oh boy, or... the old man balance okay, that's test. That's called
1: the old man balance test. It was developed by our
3: friend Chris Hinshaw. And the idea is that you just leave your shoes and socks on the floor and stand on one foot and then put your sock and then your shoe on and then trade foots, trade, trade sides. And it turns out to just be such an excellent way to see how your overall balance is. But what I love about it is this is actually how, you know, back to our theme of we're, we're realists and we want, we want to create ways that people can actually incorporate these things into their lives. This is actually how I put my shoe and socks on every single day and back to the solec test you know the first time i did it i actually was surprised as well how how difficult it was and so the way that i incorporated into my life is i actually do the solec test every night while i'm brushing my teeth because you know 20 seconds per side at least and i you know stand there with my eyes closed while i brush my teeth and again it's not another thing i've added to my day i'm always brushing my teeth and
1: practicing my balance let me go to caller jameson in san rafael hi jameson you're on
2: Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. How are you guys doing? Oh,
1: yay. We love that. Welcome. Um, What's on
2: your mind? Awesome. So I'm working my way through the book here. It's it's excellent, really accessible. Um, I got into chapter four, and I was kind of surprised at the impact of walking had on uh, on our daily lives. Um, I'm someone who's had to uh, trains a lot, you know, like three days a week. Puts it in for about an hour, and I didn't realize how much more impactful walking was on just like calorie burn and day-to-day stuff, and I I was thinking, I was wondering if the stars could kind of elaborate a little bit more on that.
3: Ooh, yes, please. Well, we are evangelists of walking and the amazingness that is walking. And, you know, I'll start by saying that, you know, that the idea of 10,000 steps was originally developed by a Japanese pedometer maker. 10,000
4: is an auspicious number, right? It's an
3: auspicious number, and it was a marketing scheme. But it turns out since that time, a massive amount of research has filled into backup that, you know, the more steps that you walk, the longer you live, the less chronic disease you will suffer and you know a whole host of other things and it also turns out that you reap most of the benefits of walking at about 8,000 steps and everything above that is a bonus which is why we recommend anywhere between 8 to 10 8 to 12,000 steps a day but there are all these other side benefits of walking um You know, it's the best way to recover from a hard training session. You know, in these days where we're all working from home and on Zoom, it's a great way to connect with family and friends and away from technology. You know, we use it also as a time to listen to books and catch up on podcasts. And, um, you know, it just has a thousand reasons why it's so good for our bodies and our minds. And so we are huge proponents of figuring out how people can incorporate as much walking as possible. And, And this is apart from exercise, I'll add. I mean, we're saying this is, you know, Walking is fundamental and we're definitely not doing enough of it. Yeah.
4: If, if you've ever sat in an airplane and had cankles, your <laughs> legs are swollen at the end and your sock and you're like, what's going on? That's an indication of not moving. So there's a a circulatory system in your body called the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is your sewage system. It's how you naturally move proteins and things that are too large to go into your circulatory system, like your arteries and veins. But that system is bootstrapped into your muscles. So it's almost like if I want to flush my sewers every day, I need to move and contract my muscles. So whether we're talking about just normal waste products or recovering from a big workout, or we need to accumulate enough non-exercise activity so we're actually fatigued enough to go to sleep, turns out walking is a solution.
1: One of the things I loved was the point that you were making that if you can't memorize a bunch of little mobility exercises, that just walking would be a way to get at so many Transform of those society. benefits. society. The other thing that I loved was how you stressed the social nature that walking often requires. So for us to be out in the world and walking yes. is to also engage with others. And it was such a reminder at the beginning of the pandemic pandem- oh. when I felt like I was seeing everybody walking uh, who I hadn't even seen in my neighborhood or knew <laughs> lived there, Uh especially in those early months. And and so it's just sort of a a nice um, metaphor for the... Little bits of movement improvement that end up having this cascading effect, I think, that we don't really take into consideration.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we've told people and they have gotten the message is that they should exercise. You know, I think people know that they should exercise, whether they do it or not, they know they should. But we've also told people that that always has to happen in these like formal one hour blocks where you Hmm. put on your shoes and you go to your Orange Theory class or your CrossFit class or do whatever. But it turns out that there are so many little things that can be done in five-minute increments, 10-minute increments, um, that really can have a massive impact on how your body feels and your overall health that really don't require motivation or willpower. They can really be incorporated into our day-to-day life. And walking is one of those things. I mean, we we are huge fans of the post-dinner walk. And we figured out that walking to the end of our block and back is 1,750 steps. It takes us about 20 minutes. And we feel better after eating a big meal. And we gotten some extra movement in and it also helps us fall asleep
1: so how do these small movements if you are someone who wants to take the hour-long class or do a a, a workout where you're totally smoked at the end to use a word <laughs> that you were using kelly how do these little movements actually help you in that if yeah. you do want to become a better
4: athlete? well you know when we're working alongside some really fantastic teams bay area we we work with university of california we work with 49ers for example the myth that you can outwork anyone has that's over that everyone is working really hard the intensity that we're seeing in the gyms and these classes and yoga it's really amazing but what we see is ultimately the game is how well can you adapt to the training so adaptation is the game. I train, it makes me weak, but sleep, nutrition, feeling loved, getting sunshine, all of those things help me to manage that stress and allows my body to react. Well, remove that idea of training and add in your life stress. So ultimately, all of these behaviors turn out to be the really the, the central sort of governors to, from your ability to manage stress and adaptation. So what we're seeing is, hey, people can feel better, but we need to expand the idea of physical practice. Because let's say your, your day gets beyond you, you can't go to your class, but you've walked, you did a little breathing, you ate some ate fruits and vegetables, vegetables right? yeah. you, got, you did all of these things, suddenly what you're going to realize is, well, I really did a good job of care and feeding of my body today throughout the whole course of being awake, and then if I can add that in, I'm going to be even more ready for more intensity and, and, and exercise.
1: Let me go to caller Emilio and Davis. Hi, Emilio,
4: you're on. Hi, thank
2: you for this uh, presentation. It's excellent. Just a little background. Uh, just be aware we're driving, but she's driving. I'm not driving, so it's quite safe. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, we're both 74 years old. My wife has run 116 marathons and then five uh, 50ks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now has both knee replacements. She's had both her knees replaced, and since she's just walked six marathons and is training for another marathon, walking. See, the the surgeon said, if you run, I don't want to see you, Uh, but Mm -hmm. walking is.
1: Oh, I think we're losing you there, Emilio. Keep going. Oh, I think we did lose you. Try to call back so you can finish your thought. Let me go next to Lisa in Alameda. Hi, Lisa, you're on.
6: Hi, I'm kind of a contrast to the previous caller. Um, I'm 72 years old and I'm quite active. I've always been a gardener. I was a professional dancer in my youth. Um, I walk at least two miles a day. Um, often three, um, you know, I'm on my feet a lot. Um, but I actually ended up being infuriated by the first 20 minutes of this presentation about this getting up and down off the floor. There is no way I can get up and down off the floor unless I have something to pull me up. And I just felt it was kind of ageist where everybody can do this. You just practice and you get better at it. And it's like when you're 72 and have four joint replacements, my own physical therapist would tell me, do not try to do that. You will fall. Um, And I do PT exercises every day. I do Tai Chi. I mean, I'm an active person, but I think – at least the intro of this whole presentation, you have had some more calls since, and you've obviously talked about walking, um which I do um, I just think needs to be less age centered well i
1: i I feel you, which is in part also the question that we had early on about meeting people where they are um and and where you are, Lisa is such an important thing to describe and i and I bet Kelly and Juliet actually have some ideas.
4: Well, first of all, let's just say that if i could get everyone on the planet to engage in your lifestyle we would see people thriving and feeling a lot better in their bodies so continue to do what you're doing second of all keep in mind that all everything that we're trying to do in the book is just about exposure so no way would your physical therapist or physician say to you hey let's not use your range or or be in there and certainly i think Lowering yourself down to the floor and using something so that you don't feel like you're going to lose your balance, that's absolutely appropriate. The order of business and order of operations in the book is exposure. So even if you just lowered yourself down and set crisscross applesauce, it turns out it might expose a blind spot, and you don't have to do any other things. Absolutely, doesn't have to be the center of your exercise program. Again, your movement richness and what you're doing is fantastic. And if Julian and I, you know, really have written this book with the idea of trying to give people the the tools and the the idea that you're safe doing these things, and we can expand even your skills and abilities and how you feel in the environment. But if we came across that way, apologies.
1: Um, and let me again remind listeners that we're talking with Kelly and Juliet Starr at co-founders of The Ready State. Their new book is Built to Move, The Ten Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. They are whitewater rafting world champions. And they were also co-founders of San Francisco's CrossFit. And uh, they are here to answer any questions that you might have about ways to increase your mobility no matter what ability you're at, if whatever differences of ability you may possess. Um, And also we want to hear if there are small movements you've done, listeners, that you think have improved your mobility that you're surprised to find that you want to share with us. Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Call us at 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're getting insight into how frequently you sit, stand, and walk, and why that matters with Kelly Starrett and Juliet Starrett to athletes, superstar athletes who train superstar athletes who are here to tell you that you don't have to be a superstar athlete to be able to move the way you want to through the decades of your life. You just have to think a little bit more about the movements that you do on a regular basis and maybe incorporate some that you forgot about that you used to do more as a kid. Katie writes, I'm more conscious of my upper back these days and the need to lift my rib cage. What are the little muscles that make this happen? I can do it, but I can tell but I can't tell what I am doing. It feels good when I lift my rib cage and helps me with driving, sitting, and overall healthy positions. What are the little muscles that make this happen, <laughs>
4: <laughs> Well, let's just start to say that your brain isn't actually wired for muscles. It's wired for movement. And the musculature is just one component to that. So one of the things that I think is useful and it's great that this person's saying, hey, I realize that if I don't move or I'm conscious about restoring and maintaining what my body can do, I don't feel as good. So oftentimes when people have low back pain, which is very common, we don't think about the low back as the low back, the hips, and the legs as being a system. Well, the same thing is true with your upper back, your shoulders, and your neck as a system. So if we don't ever put our arms over our head, for example, or use our shoulders in the way they're supposed to be used, if you go to yoga class, Downward Dog is one of the central tenets, and even Chaturanga and some of these positions where your arms come behind you like you're pushing up from a chair. But the more we can restore our, our native ranges in our shoulders, the more connection we have to our necks and our backs. And so for, you know, in short, the way to think about this is not to train the muscles, but to train the movements. You know, what is it? Well, pushing and pulling arms overhead, reaching behind me. Those are the movements that are going to recruit all the muscles.
1: Can you talk a little bit about why you focus on, I mean, if I could think of the smallest movement that we could improve on on a regular basis, why you focus on breathing yeah. and the benefits of Breathing through our nose instead of our mouth, if that is an option for us, Juliet or,
4: well, or Kelly? I'll tell you what, let's, let's start by saying when we look at what the body does, the first movement, the, the, we, we say we work in a wave of contraction from the spine outwards. That's sort of how our bodies organize. And ultimately, the first movement around the neck and the back is the breath. And what we've found is, and certainly we became a lot more breath aware in COVID, we're counting our respiration rates, we're looking at some of these other SAO2, we're tracking these things. But one of the things that we know actually comes from sort of our earliest thinking around yoga, believe it or not, Iyengar had an old saying, nerves are king of the breath the breath is king of the brain. So oftentimes we find that if we can help give people strategies around more conscious breathing, we can help them calm down, we can help them wake up, but also we find that it taking big breaths does things like opens up your upper back, which makes it easier for your neck to feel better in turn, or your arms to move a little bit more effectively. We can get deep into the physiology of CO2 tolerance and that if I can more comfortable breathing through my nose, I can access more oxygen so that I can run faster. Or it turns out, hey, I can create a s- greater intra-abdominal pressure so I can lift up my child. Or, hey, my back doesn't feel as stiff and my neck doesn't feel as stiff when I restore my native range of motion and native skills, which is being able to belly breathe.
1: Well, this listener wants to know, what can people do to gain mobility after joint replacement surgeries? <laughs> I-, I know you- you've had surgeries, both of you. I think you had a knee replacement surgery,
3: Kelly. Yeah, and I had a hip.
1: You had a hip replacement surgery. So what can you tell this listener about what people can do to gain mobility after joint replacement surgeries? Well, you know, I think
4: we we should start by saying that Physio care and, and the, the replacement experience is incredible because we can give you your range back and movement back. But no one has a vested interest in actually returning you to your full ability because the system isn't set up for that. So we're going to have to re empower people in their homes. Let's start with something that my, one of my, physical, my pediatric physical therapy instructors said. Muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. So there's been an an idea here around exposure. So if we need to flex the knee more, for example, the first thing we need to do is start flexing the knee. So what positions can I start bending my knee and spending more time in day to day to day instead of having, hey, I did this three sets of 10 of this one exercise. That's not gonna account for the amount of change. What we have in the book are movements and positions, and then we also have some mobilizations, or what we call skill transfer exercises, or position transfer exercises. So oftentimes, people can restore their range or make themselves feel better with some simple input with a ball and a roller, and spending some time in these key positions. So, for example, with the knee replacement, notice that we've got some, some hitting, sitting cross-legged. We've got working on the squat, and we've got taking the leg into a position that looks a little bit like a lunge. Those are all of the key positions required for your knee to be able to be utilized in the things that we do as, as people every day.
1: Anything you would add on the hip replacement in front of it, Julia?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the two things that were the most important for me were walking. Um, I did so much walking post surgery and continue to do that, and I think that's made huge difference for me in my in maintaining my range of motion. And also, you know, like Kelly said, we're huge fans of creating what we call a movement-rich environment and, and constraining our environment. So, you know, back to the sitting on the floor and watching TV, we also have a bunch of simple tools around our living room floor. We've got some balls and foam rollers and massage guns, and we use that as an opportunity to just spend 10 or 15 minutes a day just noodling on and working on our mobility. So sitting cross-legged, maybe rolling out our calves. And so this isn't, again, we're not spending hours upon hours a day working on our mobility. we just getting in these little snacks of mobility and mobilization time while mm-hmm. we're doing something else that we'd already be doing. And those things alone have made a massive difference, just walking and noodling a little bit on my own mobility on my living room floor.
1: I think you're partially asking the question that our listener who got cut off earlier, Amelia, wanted to know, which is how can you get back on track to be able to... Uh, do the sit stand and so these are like little things that you can do and little environmental changes it sounds like that you can make to be able to start to strengthen and we can we
4: can go the other way and say hey if i don't want to eat cookies i'm not going to go buy a bunch of cookies and put them in the house i have constrained my environment (laughs) to make a better decision so you know as we came in, the offices of KQED actually has a lot of, of movement-rich choices. So you can be at a standing desk or you could sit. Yes. The first order of business is to give yourself this choice and to create an environment and shape the environment so you make a different decision than being constrained into the same thing you've always done.
1: Well, this listener writes, on hearing the suggestion to sit on the floor while watching Netflix, which I do most nights, I realize that Ottomans and coffee tables may be one of the things yes. that literally get in our way. Or I can have mind, t- I can move mind to try this, but I bet it's hard for some people. Maybe there needs to be a fundamental change to the living room or TV room design.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, uh, we don't ever want to be weird and have people come into our house and learn we that we've We have teenage daughters. We have teenage daughters. You know, we care what they think about us. <laughs> um, so we actually also have furniture in our house, and we'll pro- we'll plan to keep all of our furniture in the house. And, you know, I understand the, the issue, but, you know, the goal is just to get some time sitting on the floor. And so if, if your furniture is something that's stopping you, you know, it, it might be something you spend 10 minutes doing at the gym or, you know, wherever you feel comfortable and can find a place to sit on the floor. We certainly don't want people to have to throw away all their living room furniture. Sure. But you could sit
4: crisscross applesauce on your ottoman or on your couch.
1: Well, this listener, Liz, writes I live a half mile, half a mile away from the grocery store. I'm 72, oh. and for years, once a week, I have carried home 20 pounds of groceries in two cloth bags. Nowadays, I've added an additional 10 pounds in a backpack. I feel this exercise is good for me, the cashiers are helpful dividing the bags evenly, and other customers are amazed that I am walking. I've even had to decline car rides. This sounds a (laughs) lot like loading. Do you want to describe what loading is and why that's so beneficial? Yeah, so uh,
3: loading is basically carrying any kind of weight on your body. We're huge fans of something called rucking, which is basically what this collar is doing. Um, Rucking is just walking but carrying some kind of weight on your body. And it just turns out to be so effective um, for, you know, fitness and cardiovascular strength and overall strength. And it feels good and, and, you know, it's a great way to work on balance. So we're, you know, generally fans of rucking, and that's what she's doing there when she's carrying her groceries home. But one point I wanted to make, I think probably many of your listeners have heard about the blue zones, which is where... There are these six or seven places on Earth where people live the longest with right. the fewest chronic diseases, and one of the things that people do in the blue zones universally is walking is part of their everyday life, and movement is part of their everyday life. And so, there the, in in those blue zones, people again aren't doing formal exercise. Movement is built into their days, doing simple things like gardening and walking to and from the grocery store, um, and you know, basic general movements are just sprinkled in throughout their days. It's not something that's even thought about. It's just part of how their whole environment is set
1: up. I guess our health outcomes would be a lot better if exercising really hard for an hour, you know, once a day or once a week was super beneficial. Whereas you're actually saying no, these kinds of daily, everyday Movements um, are what seem to have seem to overlap with what you're suggesting here, and seem to have the kinds of benefits that you're talking about. And and all of these
4: systems interact. No one aspect of your body works independently, so we get this sort of compounding behavior. So, you know, we might start by saying, you know, historically human beings have gotten them down up off the ground. We've thrown things and we've carried resources around. Babies, you know, animals, water. We've we've doing a lot of carrying. So our bodies need this. Or we could just say, hey, you know, what are the things that are going to help me sleep better? Well, it turns out if I'm a little bit more fatigued because I've moved during the day, then I feel better. Or, hey, because I was moving more, it was easier to sneak in this 30-minute Peloton class at my lunch break because I was—I didn't have to go from a kind of a dead, cold start. I would have had a little bit more movement in.
1: Well, let me go to Jeff in Berkeley. Hi, Jeff. You are on.
4: Hi.
2: Um, I'm just calling in because... Uh, I'm 48 years old and I can absolutely feel my body aging and and getting worse. And um, when I was a a teenager and a a tween, I did martial arts a bit, but it um, instilled in me a a lifelong uh, appreciation for stretching and for just uh, sort of taking a position where I can feel like the start of pain when I know something is... Like when I know my, my tendons are tightening up, if I've had a few days being on ladders and uh, mm-hmm. I can really feel my lower back yeah. um starting to tighten up, I just I'll sit in a cross legged position or sit with my legs out straight and just just try to reach for my toes or you know, like <laughs> I don't always make it. Yeah. But just that sort of finding the 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 edge of pain and maybe just sitting there Hmm. Um, yeah, I like with that it until the pain sort of subsides. And then em. that's a good start for like, you know, easing the pain that, that comes naturally with aging and decline in my joints and all that sort of stuff.
1: Well, Kelly, I, 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 I like what you're questions. saying. I actually want to get Kelly's response because I see him sort of nodding over there. Let me just remind listeners first that you are listening to Forum and I'm Mina Kim. Yeah, Kelly, what was it that Jeff said that made you go? Ah, I want
4: to. Focus First and, on and that? foremost, our brains need to understand what is safe and not safe. So, what the listener did brilliantly was move towards a position where his brain started to say, "Hey, maybe I'm interpreting this position as less safe." And by spending time there and breathing there, we start to en- engage our brains to understand that this position is safe. In the technical term, we might call that an isometric, where I, do, I perform a movement without actual motion. But we can even start to say, in the way we organize the book, for these positions are saying, hey, let's get you into your available range where you can still breathe. And so if you can't breathe in a position, you don't own that position. So what happens is Jeff is taking himself into some key positions, stopping before he feels his, his, his discomfort, and he's just spending time there breathing. And lo and behold, the brain says, hey... It's all okay. Let's give you access to that shape again. Well,
1: Chris writes, long ago my best friend got me to start living this mantra. When I think about it, it slows me down to breathe and repositions my body. It goes head up, shoulders back, chest out, stomach in. (laughs) AJ writes, I'm 63 and I've become very sedentary since even before COVID. Although I'm a fast mover when I'm going about my day, I need to exercise, of course, if I want to age well. I'm getting more and more stiff, so I need to stretch as well. My physician has always advised me to exercise but I haven't wanted to make this a priority for me. Thanks for the information about how good it is for us to walk. I think I will start a neighborhood walk in the evening group. I mean, that underscores a lot of the points that we've been making about, um, yeah, sometimes just like the commitment to having to exercise 30 minutes a day or something is, (laughs) is something that can stop us from doing what could actually be even more beneficial, which are these small movements that you're talking about, that we're just being a little more conscious about and doing a little bit more often in our lives. We're almost to the end of the hour. And I guess one of the things that I, I just really wanted to ask you both is, why you really started thinking about this? Like what was it that made you say, we really need to think about the fundamental, or I think you've used the word native ways our bodies move, Is it because you hit a certain age or because (laughs) you're, you know, getting older and worried or fear losing? I mean, your your bodies have done incredible things for you. Um, Is it because of those sort of concerns that inspired this? Well, I think it was – there were many
3: inspirations, but one of them is that we were simultaneously working with high performers, but also we were two busy parents – raising kids, finding our own life to be very time-crunched. And we found that these 10 things were the things that moved the levers for us the most personally in terms of how we felt and how we move through our environment and how we were able to show up at work and show up for our friends and family, we found these 10 things were the things that helped us feel the best in our own bodies. And it turns out that those were also the same 10 things that we were advising our high performers to focus on, um, to be really good at their sport. And so it seemed to be this really perfect convergence of things that worked for us as busy working parents, and also worked for the best athletes in the world. And so we really saw in COVID that, you know, many of us were really struggling in our bodies and to feel good and to feel healthy and connected to other humans. And so somehow sort of the timing of COVID mm-hmm. and our sort of realization that, you know, these basic practices had really made the biggest difference for us in our own lives and in, in the lives of the people we were coaching.
1: So, so how do you feel or approach your aging body well, <laughs> bodies now, Kelly, like, do you feel less fear well, I, about? Well, here, yeah, look, we, we both
4: turned 50 this year, and I know that's young <laughs> still. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, the way to think about it is what we've realized, I think, is that it's a lot simpler than we thought, we didn't need to kind of go as hard as we thought, and that simultaneously, we wanted to turn sport into a living laboratory so we could take those lessons from sport and performance, instead of making that just entertainment and those bodies chattel, what we could do is say, hey, here are the lessons we're learning in these high-performance sports. Can we apply them to our community and to our families? It also turns out that the older you get, you just have less tolerance for silliness, that you really have to wrap your head around sleeping more and getting enough fruits and vegetables and fiber. And you just don't have that body that will put up with your silliness. So instead, what we've realized is that here are the core principles that were also working for us as we got older. And now we realize this, wow, I wonder how long we can play.
1: Well, thank you for trying to teach us all <laughs> the different ways that we can play. How, what was, what's one thing that you'd love people to take away from this book? Uh,
3: you know, there are really simple ways that you can add these practices into any time-crunched, busy life, and it will really make a difference in your overall health.
1: Juliette Starrett, Kelly Starrett, thank you both for talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mina. The book is Built to Move the 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. Thank you, listeners, for your questions and also for your advice and your experiences. My thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
2: When you move, I can recall something that's gone from me When you move, honey, I'm putting on something so flawed and free so move me, baby. Shake like the bar of a tree. You do it naturally. Move
0: me, baby. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.